0: Hi there, Mike Lesseter here from Farm Equipment as well as No-Till Farmer, Strip-Till Farmer and Precision Farming Dealer. Thanks for joining us today for How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipments Entrepreneurs. Today I'm with Anthony Montag of Montag Manufacturing. Anthony is General Manager of the operation, founded by his dad Roger Montag, who still oversees the engineering and product development. Incorporated in 2005, Montag is the youngest of the companies featured in our podcast series on family run shortline equipment companies. I've had the pleasure to know Anthony and Roger for most of their company's official history. And we at Farm Equipment Magazine are proud to have introduced many of you to this little known upstart in our early reports on the new specialty equipment that was starting to hit a decade or so ago.
1: All the way up until that point, all we had to do was just build stuff and answer the phone. The phone didn't ring. Men may have died. It just stopped ringing. Nobody was interested in buying anything right then. We had to change how we engaged the market. My uncle and I jumped in a truck and we went out and started seeing customers. Dad went out and started seeing customers. That was the next opportunity we needed to work on. So kind of roll up our sleeves and go into that mode. It was important that we did that, but started calling on customers and calling on our dealers more. And they responded. 2010 ended up being a really good year for us.
0: That's Anthony Montag talking about what they, as the new kid on the block, faced when the spigot turned off after consecutive years of 250% or higher growth in their early years. As newcomers, they didn't have a lot of history to fall back onto. They had to make things up as they went. And that's another interesting fact about the Montag crew, which today is home to six of Roger's eight children. Their homeschooling schedule afforded the Montag kids real-life work experience each afternoon when the local school kids were already on the couch playing video games. Mom instilled in them a drive to learn and master the task at hand. That need to understand, study, and analyze would provide a foundation for decisions that would help the company leapfrog ahead in just a few short years. Before we hit the play button on my sit down with Anthony while in Nebraska, I wanted to recognize Ingersoll Tillage, our sponsor. For more on Ingersoll, visit www.ingersolltillage.com. So here we go, the conversation with Anthony Montag. Tell us what Montag Manufacturing does, what their role is.
1: Montag Manufacturing develops equipment that is designed to maximize the efficiency of the fertilizer used by placing it where it is most available for the crop, both to achieve the most economic benefit, as well as to minimize the environmental impact to the greatest degree possible. So a a small company that my father started, came out of an idea that he had in the mid 80s and developed and uh, we build dry fertilizer equipment and steerable carts for the ag industry and then partner with a good number of companies within that ag industry to market those pieces of equipment, a heavy influence on on engineering, marketing, and manufacturing. How many employees? We have about 35 employees now.
0: And two sites?
1: Two sites, uh, Emmitsburg, Iowa, which uh, would be our main headquarters, and about 28 employees up there, and then a smaller parts uh, distribution center in Milford, Nebraska. The Emmitsburg location is mainly focused on the large manufacturing, so that's where CARTs, Gen 2s, Uh, Gen 1, uh, Generation 1, Generation 2 products come out of. Um, A lot of our OE uh, partnerships come out of there as well. Milford is more of a small parts assembly, cleaner environment, we're doing gearboxes and plastic housings and componentry there. And that's also our parts warehouse. Um, So parts come out of Milford. Marketing's out of Milford. Um, Engineering's out of our Emmitsburg location. And we have some sales presence out of there as well.
0: Tell us about your customer base your customer profile who you serve as you know on the equipment manufacturer side and where your sweet spot is in company
1: our customers tend to be conservation minded or efficiency minded farmers farmers who are really looking at getting the most out of their investment and building the best fertility and taking care of their soil to the highest level those tend to be our customers as typical in the ag industry um, selling something new we tend to be in that 1500 to 5000 acre farmer that tends to be a lot of who we sell to Um, i'd say that dynamic is changing well though we're starting to see a lot of the larger farmers starting to look at it and starting to see more of those smaller farmers who are now starting to purchase used pieces of equipment as well now that we've been in business for a few years Um, starting to see some of that Um, but still relatively small amount of used equipment really in the market.
0: Affiliations with the other manufacturers out there, what's, what's the breakdown look like today?
1: So we, have, we have tight relationships like we like with Kuhn Krauss and Deere where we move equipment and have a fairly structured system and do a lot, but then we have a lot of affiliations where we work closely with uh, OEs, Blue Jet, Dawn, uh, Orthman, Great Plains. Um, just to name a few, where we have agreements where we work together and partner to sell equipment. And um, those relationships continue to grow and continue, continue to add, add, add new ones, new ones all, all the time.
0: time. Describe to us what the engineering focus capacity operation is at your place, product engineering oh, so sure. and design.
1: Yeah. So mostly in the development of, of our products, really to bring them and keep pace with the technology uh, that's changing in the ag world. Many people tend to think of agriculture as uh, kind of a backwards way of doing things, but in fact, it's heavily technologically driven. And for example, uh, the latest major project that we worked on would have been our new generation uh, machine uh, has the ability to blend multiple products together, um, control those over a section off of a GPS satellite, prepare an applied map, and do all this in real time while driving across the field. So developing those pieces and integrating that, and then working with the computers and the, uh, the different uh, tractors.
0: So before we get into the, the history, I want to know a little bit more about your dad's background and kind of encapsulate, you know, him growing up and what took him would carried him forward to starting the company.
1: Oftentimes, uh, I'm, I'm convinced my father was born an entrepreneur. So he um, seems like one. He yeah. <laughs> most certainly was. Um, so his junior high school project was building a skid loader in shop class. And this is before skid loaders were out. So he built a little 10 horsepower skid loader to scoop manure out from underneath the chicken cages in the chicken barn.
0: What? State where we in
1: city? So he would have. uh, He went to high school in West Bend, Iowa, and yeah. So this is his junior project. His senior project was uh, working on a machine for moving grain bins. So he worked on that and then worked on it at the farm as well. And that's what he actually started doing right out of high school. Was he farmed, raised some livestock. Um, which was you know, the common thing he did in the 70s. But then on the side, he also would do some manufacturing stuff and he moved grain bins. He actually moved nearly 2,000 uh, government bins. Wow. as a side job, um, plus moving quonsets and larger grain bins, but uh, he lost track of the number of grain bins he moved around 2,000, was what he estimates that was, because he lost track in the upper 1800s. So yeah, kind of a different, uh, different thing, but then started working on a lot of Projects so farmers would come to him and he would take uh, like a new idea combine and he would take and uh, strip that down and make it into a pull type and he timed them for the seed corn uh, for picking seed corn so the ear actually never moved in the field but just up and timed everything so he did some things like that built some I think he had the largest grain wagon ever built for a time and some fun projects like that and I can still you know that's where I grew up one of my earliest pictures in the shop. Um, his mom holding me at about nine months, and there's dad welding those large grain wagons in mm-hmm. the background.
0: It was an on-farm shop?
1: Yep. yep. So he built it uh, not too long after he got out of high school. He built a 60 by 40 shop there on the farm, and that's where a lot of different manufacturing projects, many of them were shown in the farm show paper. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. What were some of the other ones that he tinkered with?
1: Well, he built a he built a high, a high boy, really the very first metering system he built was on that highway for applying dry fertilizer in crop, and that would have been built back in the early 80s. Well, yeah, high boy, he built a couple of those. Really the beginning of what became um, Montague Manufacturing. Mm-hmm.
0: So the early 80s, the start of trouble in farm country, was this side job something that helped him being able to support the farm? Was it was it that kind of business or was it just a small handyman type operation at that time?
1: No, it definitely helped support the business. Uh, Dad did a lot of different things during the mid-80s. Like everyone else, he was affected by that. They hadn't taken a lot of the uptick in land and opportunities that a lot of people were doing earlier because they were more diversified, moving bins and things like that. Um, so they were a little bit more protected from it than some, but you couldn't go through the '80s in the ag world and not felt that in a significant way. And he did a lot of blacksmith work, things like that, to subsidize and make it through through that pretty difficult era. How old are you? Thirty-six.
0: Thirty-six. So that would have you. You were born in eighty-one. Eighty-one. Okay, right at right at the beginning. Yes. Yeah.
1: So good. I have no memories before the '80s crisis. Yeah. So. Yeah, the glory days of the 70s aren't things that I remember. I just remember really, really that early 80s all the way through the, into the early 90s was kind of a long, drawn-out struggle.
0: So because he was young family, uh, he had the manufacturing business that was occupying a lot of his time, you had mentioned that that kept him from maybe buying more, more land during that up run that, that could have been more difficult for him in the years that followed.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Blessing in disguise, right?
1: Blessing in disguise, yeah. They changed, didn't take some of the opportunities on some of the livestock side either because they were raising quite a few hogs. Um, They'd gotten out of the chickens at that point already.
0: Tell us what happened from 81 or so to 2005, before officially became the entity we know today as
1: Monte. So Monte Manufacturing, if you trace it back, um, has roots in a company called Pneumatics, which was relatively popular in the ag industry. I mean, it had its place, or definitely had a presence. And that was the company that my father started um, with uh, two other gentlemen, Michael McNeil and Ken Clark, back in 1986. So they came in in 1988, So, and Dad had been developing this metering system, and they built a complete solution. You know, this is before strip-till, this is really in the beginnings of banding fertilizer. Um, And they were just banders, used different coulter setups, uh, worked with some different OEs. And that company grew pretty rapidly, and they started looking for an investor um, then in the early 90s. So in 1993, they had an investor come out of the automobile industry that came in and bought. Uh, majority interest of that company, pneumatics, and kind of helped to continue to build that up, but had a little different focus on where that market was going. And so instead of selling a complete systems, kind of ended up selling more uh just the metering systems mm-hmm. to some OEs and not investing necessarily as much into the, the R and D side to sustain it in the ag world. So so that really brings it up kind of so did your dad stay with pneumatics after that okay. yep he was really part of that company and we actually continued to build parts after that majority interest buyout dad still continued to work for them and we made parts and components for the metering systems and continued to work in that business more as a contractor uh, than an employee of pneumatics but uh, then in around 2000 uh started to see some opportunities to develop some other things and we worked on a few projects with Pneumatics on the metering system. We had some ideas that we wanted to start working on, mainly coming up with a polytank. Um, We've been working on the development of the steerable cart and building a meter that was more technological, i.e. getting away from the old ground wheel drives and bringing it into a GPS-driven platform and they weren't really interested in investing into that so we developed those projects on our own just as a blacksmith and in 2005 decided it was time to incorporate the business and just give it a name and start marketing some of these products so that's mm-hmm. kind of the uh, the beginning of where that where that comes And 2005 was definitely a an interesting year i mean we start out as a essentially it was dad and myself and the, uh, my two sisters working part-time in the company and we built a couple machines, um, branded them, developed a website with some friends locally and you know, we were still working out of that 40 by 60 shop on the farm place. But then no sooner did we start doing that, putting a brand on it and we started seeing some dealers coming to us and this was something we hadn't really anticipated much, we were just going to kind of follow that old pneumatics model but um, all of a sudden we start seeing some dealers coming to us and saying we'd like to we'd like to sell that product for you and right away you start getting into this debate well you know are we are we going to be a manufacturer selling and trying to handle all of this or are we going to just focus on the part we do well which is manufacturing and find uh, dealer partners to yeah. go with and support us in their markets and that wasn't an easy decision in 2005 but it's one i uh, i know we've been really happy and grateful that we've made and i think made the right decision uh, to start partnering with dealers in the development of our products and yeah. yeah great story
0: hope you're enjoying the interview so far here's a quick word about another project from our editors here at Leicester media that you want to make sure you're subscribed to Jack Semlicka here, managing editor and host of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast, and every other week recording that keeps you and your business up to date on understanding, selling, and servicing precision ag technologies. Visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com or search out Precision Farming Dealer on your favorite podcast channel. And now, back to farm equipment for the How We Did It podcast. So 2005, you're 24 years old. Yep. So you've been you've been around this entire chapter for Montex and, so, and Corporation.
1: Yep. I learned to weld when I was a, uh, early in my teens and spent the hours and the nights bending and forming and shearing and cutting parts and grew up with that. So,
0: so you were definitely doing that work in the early days. Oh yes. Personally doing that work in the early
1: days. Yep. Yeah. Um, answer the phone during the day and work at night. So. Yeah.
0: So tell me about what happened between end of high school and 24,
1: starting this business with your father. So I graduated from high school and started working in the shop right away. I just very much followed in my father's footsteps of doing blacksmith work, and we were kind of a traditional blacksmith shop at that time. We, uh, we had this fab job that we would work on for pneumatics, and then we would build things that people wanted us to work on or to build. And then, as with everything that dad was doing, we always were working on some new project or some mm. development of something as well. So you had your day job and then you had something you were working on. The fun thing that came along after that was done.
0: I bet there were no days where your feet were up on the desk with an entrepreneurial, inventive,
1: tinkering <laughs> no, environment. No, we were uh, we were very much the entrepreneur meant getting the chalk out and getting a sweeping a spot on the floor and starting to draw. <laughs> um that was the that was the definition of what we would do. So
0: incorporation date, let's go back there for a moment. Did you have a three, five year plan or were you let's do this and see where it goes. What what was your thought process on the day that it went into incorporation?
1: So incorporation date is January one, two thousand and five. So that's our I think it actually filing because of the first is the third, but um, that was the day we were shooting for. The real intent was just to give a name to what we were doing um, on the manufacturing side and to develop some products. Outside of just having jobs and for ourselves and maybe growing it beyond that a little bit, that was about it. The hope was to partner with some other OEs and sell them some components, as Pneumatics had done, but never really had a scope of it growing to the extent that it is today um, in those early days. Um, we started seeing some of that opportunity as we got into it a few years, but not in the beginning. In the beginning, it was more just giving a name to the job we were already doing and enjoying the work we were doing.
0: It would have been difficult at that frame of time to have seen what you guys have become today 12 years later. I imagine it exceeded your expectations at the time.
1: Yeah, I would say our vision for the company was probably met at around 2008 or 9 is where we kind of met our the vision of that. And from then on, it's been just an amazing ride.
0: So your thought process initially that was, you would get the work of other OEMs to carry you forward. Uh, did you get some of those or, or did the dealer opportunity also present itself?
1: Yeah, both. Some of the OEs that pneumatics had worked with, we definitely had some opportunities and worked with some carts on the, with them. That um, would have been Progressive and Ag Systems, mostly mm-hmm. at the time. Another contact that they had, or another one was Ray Ross and did some things. But those were some contacts that we had worked with early on. But then the dealers started coming and we actually built a fairly aggressive dealer base in those early years and Kev continued on that course, uh, a little more selective now than back then. But...
0: I remember... It must have been pretty early on when I first came across your dad at one of the farm shows. I wasn't familiar with Montag at the time, but we stopped at a camera. Back in those days, we you know took pictures of, of new products at the shows and did write-ups on them. And so I'd had a couple of interchanges there, but I remember being in the Jim Bassett's utility vehicle, a, a Gator, at uh, also a farm show the following year or so, and he told my dad and I, we were both in that thing, you guys gotta check out what Montag's doing. And uh, from then on, that's probably when I, I got to meet you, and you know, it's been fun to watch your business grow during this time.
1: And farm shows have been an integral part of what we've done as a business always. I think our first farm show we went to was in 2005, and we had the opportunity to get in of all places, the Clay County Fair. 2006, we got into Farm Progress Show. Some places most, I mean, again, not shows that when we first started the company, we didn't even really anticipate getting into, hmm. but.
0: What was the, uh, the first dealer interchange that you remember that someone came to you and kind of your aha moment that we have a product that
1: dealers are very interested in, in getting behind and selling? Actually, it was, it was probably, we had two dealers at the time that came to us. It was odd because they were both competing in a similar territory and didn't really know where either one of them were going to go. Um, but both Brokaw and Heartland Ag came oh, to us. I mean, very much competing dealerships in a very tight space. They both came to us within a very short time. Um, and we had known Heartland Ag a little bit through Ag systems before, but Brokaw really came in. They really, really wanted to be a dealer for us, had us come down there and met with us and wanted to sell our products and actually started marketing it. And yeah, that was my, that's the first dealer with them and uh, then Van Wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Van Howling. Yep, out of Story City. So it was some pretty good dealers. My first strongest memory would actually be the very first machine we sold as a company.
0: Yeah, tell us us about that.
1: It was a little bit of a challenging machine. Um, It was sold to a gentleman in north-central Nebraska, and it was a 24-row machine behind a planter. So we started in January of 2005, and this was our April sale. And it was a 24-row, a 9-ton machine uh, behind an 8,800 white planter and we were putting the dry fertilizer solution on but he also had saddle tanks on the planter and on the tractor so he was doing pop-up starters spraying planting and putting on doing his tillage and incorporating dry fertilizer all one pass with a 24-row planter It was a huge machine to go put together that was our very first order that was quite a first machine Mm Um, we had to develop and understand some technology pretty quick because there was a lot of things going on in the cab yeah. already.
0: And he was using it that first season?
1: Yep, he used it that spring to plant. That was before we had any dealers. That was our very first sale as a company.
0: And how did that spring go for him?
1: went very well. Sheen performed really well, but we also did learn in the process, you know, here we are. We're driving out there a few times to do some support and to set up and do things like that. When the dealers did start coming to us, we had an experience of, you know, that's a five-hour drive to go see that customer. It is nice to have somebody out there that's supporting that.
0: So that was, so tell me what happened the next
1: couple of years of the, the company. Next couple of years, we just continually were adding some dealers. We had some rapid growth. We've seen 400% growth. Um, in those early years.
0: How long did it take you to set up the first dealer after incorporation?
1: 2006 we had quite a few of them come in. Okay. So Year two. We were full into it in year two and really by the time we got into 2008-9 was definitely a slowdown in the ag industry and we felt that. That was our first experience of really feeling a slowdown in the ag market Uh, and that was a pretty good blow on us early on. We've been Uh, We've been in this 250% growth was our poorest year. And then all of a sudden we had a 20% reduction in sales um, in one year. But then we bounced back out of that in 2010. um, Our first OE, a real big OE comes to us, uh, Kuhn Kraus. And they just finished developing uh, the Gladiator and they wanted to work with us in putting this platform on. and That was was a real big boost to us at the time Mm -hmm. Um, and still is today, I mean that's been a phenomenal relationship, but when they came in, we were only five years old. we't had a lot to learn as a, as a manufacturer, and that through that experience, we definitely have learned a lot and helped us in developing a lot of the things that go along with just making and completing a, a complete system and just looking at all the different aspects, safety and different things that you need to take care of and look at so mm-hmm.
0: So that was the Gladiator was their entry into strip till, correct? Correct. So they were they were hitching your wagon to you in a pretty big way, so to speak.
1: Yes, very much. Yeah, they came to us and it was worked a lot with Kurt Davis on that project. And they um, they came to us and they wanted us to continue to take care of the warranty and support the the product and let us keep our name on the side of the tank and do some things like that. And those type of relationships really helped us build a build some uh, rapport in the industry. So that was quite, a, quite an honor for them to have selected us at that time in our growth.
0: And they promoted the process very heavily and, and everywhere they were going, people were seeing the Montag mm-hmm. product on it.
1: Yep. yep, and it gave us the opportunity to really, Kuhn was a wonderful company to learn from because they had a really good understanding of what I'd call the golden rule in agriculture, of how, uh, how to treat and take care of customers. Um, so they were great to learn and develop with in those early years. I mean, that really built built a strong foundation for us to to grow and start to develop. And really, after that, you start seeing Montag changing from being, in the early years, being a manufacturer. Then this kind of begins the next chapter for us, which is really starting to become a developer of products. Mm -hmm. Um, And marketing developing start to take a strong influence in the company with that agreement between us and Kuhn Krauss.
0: What year was that?
1: 2010.
0: Capture for us how significant that agreement was at that time of the, in the business.
1: It was a big play because it was the first time um, that a, a major company in the industry had, what I would say, taken us seriously as a as a startup company. I mean, they essentially looked at all the different fertilizer application systems out there and said, you know what, we feel that Montag has the best product to complete and work best with this strip bar And we'd worked with a lot of other companies but Krauss at the time was the first really really big one to come and that's it started to give us some stability because it also started getting us out of just being a seasonal marketer cuz they were working with dealers to stock machines and started to give us more of a diverse market to hit which was huge at that time for us so yeah it was a great a great experience it helped us both uh, from a morale standpoint it helped us in a, uh in our development and products and it helped us um, really an understanding of the market, mm-hmm. so. Major but, turning point. It is, cool. so, yeah.
0: yeah. So when that agreement went into play, I imagine there were all kinds of changes that happened back at Montag in terms of investment, technology, people, all
1: those things. At that point, we had one, we had one engineer, and he's still with us, so our engineering manager, Isaac, does a great job there. And doing that but he was managing the engineering or doing the engineering stuff and he was also working on the putting our ERP systems and inventory management and helping with purchasing we, everybody wore so many hats at that time mm-hmm. it was amazing so
0: so you got the the Kuhn order and I imagine you had to do some things differently and make some investments differently with now that the, the company was turning into something bigger than it had been previously
1: yeah, it was definitely, it started as down the path of asking the question, um, we've built this product up to this level, um, what is our next step? Started the conversation of developing what the next meter, metering system would be. And subsequently, then in 2012, we felt that we talked about it enough and started development of our gen, Generation 2 uh, product platform.
0: Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So Generation 2, people asking you know, where, is, where did all the ideas come from? Was it out of engineering? It actually came from listening to customers. You know, what were the things, what were the pain points for the dealers? What were the pain points in the market? What would, what would that next metering system look like? And so we had a pretty deep list of wants. And in 2012, we wrote those all down and started developing what controls needed to take place to do that and ended up taking us down a very different path than we anticipated into the development of a completely different metering system. And I don't know if we knew how much of a challenge that would have been. I don't know if we would have jumped on that boat by. Yeah. then. <laughs> but uh, we ended up taking on a lot of things in 2012. Development of a new generation metering system, change in our ERP system, updating our all of our parts to a new standard, um, implemented in uh, parts EPDM management for our engineering software, and uh, started the process of uh, working with John Deere on a quality audit and the uh, contract ultimately with them. Um, and did all that and started all that in the same year. Yeah. Wow. So,
0: not much rest that year, I take.
1: No, no, that was <laughs> that was quite a quite a year, and uh, really, really, that whole process uh, took about three to four years for most all of those things to really come to fruition, but they all were started in that year, 2012, um, and we just essentially was looking at a core competency of the business and saying, we can wait and do it when we are starting to feel pain and all these points, or we we can look at it right now and say, you know, we need to tackle these things now and work through them before it became a pain point for us. I think a lot of good decisions, but um, should've been probably spread over a few more years. (laughs)
0: There are small family companies who get to a certain level and they're satisfied, and they just keep making the the same product again and again. We both know some yep. of those. Tell me about the psychology, the drive, the determination, however you want to put it, that you guys were going to be different.
1: There's always a desire to build the next thing better. The good isn't good enough, and the challenge of doing something better. I can remember my my grandfather always had a statement that he use a job worth doing is worth doing right that also means that when you're developing things and you're running a company just being good isn't good enough developing it to the next level developing the next thing you're listening to your customers you'll be growing and changing and developing as a business because their needs and wants aren't stagnant that's part of what drives Montag to developing new products to working with new customers or new OEs the excitement of new opportunities and ag is a fabulous place for new opportunities and very dynamic yes so there's as many ideas out there as there are farmers we'll
0: get back to Anthony and the Montag manufacturing story in just a moment but first a word of thanks to Ingersoll Tillage who sponsored our time and travel in bringing these stories of family-run manufacturers to you in this podcast Ingersoll specializes in displays and coulters for optimal seedbed solutions. For every tillage and planting practice, there's an Ingersoll application for your unique needs. To learn more about Ingersoll tillage, visit www.ingersolltillage.com. Ingersoll is a title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, and so is Montag. In fact, both are major supporters of advancing knowledge in the ag industry, and we appreciate their support. In fact, Montag sponsors all of Westerner Media's events, which also include the National No-Tillage Conference, Precision Farming Dealers Summit, and the Dealership Mind Summit. Now back to Anthony. To lead off the balance of the recording, he'll introduce you to his seven siblings, including five who work with him at the company. So sit back and enjoy part two of the podcast.
1: Tell me a little bit about the, the Montag family first. I'm the oldest of eight children. My father and mother were married in 1979, so not too long before the ag crisis started to
0: hit. Could afford a good honeymoon in 1979, not not so much the next couple of years, I bet.
1: It's probably true as before my time. So, but family um, has always been really, really important to us. We're very. I'd say we're a very close-knit, tight family. We grew up, we were homeschooled all the way through. Um, actually, all of my siblings have been homeschooled. For us, the typical day was, you know, you woke up in the morning and started school, after school, um, we went and worked with, uh, worked either on the farm or worked with Dad. So um, oddly, school for us normally followed more of a business day period. I don't ever remember the, the 8.30 to 3.30, Uh, That was never school hours for us. School hours were always 8.30 to 5, um, but more follow the structure of a business day. So, Um, but growing up in that very tight-knit family has allowed us, you know, family businesses have some challenges, but uh, um, being in that close-knit tight family structure has helped us to be able to work through those challenges. Um, Six of my siblings Six of the eight of us work in the company. As each one has graduated high school, they've come in and worked in it for a time. Um, I have two sisters that don't work in the business. One's a nun and the other one's still in high school.
0: So the, the ones that are, are working, tell us their name and what they do.
1: Sure. Um, so I'm the oldest. And then um, after me would be my sister, Rachel. Rachel works in the accounting side of things. Um, and then Rebecca would be after Uh, Rachel, and she works mainly in helping organize and managing uh, things that are going on in the office, um, assisting a lot of the different tasks and things like that that we're working on. Um, Then Benjamin, um, Ben works uh, mostly in the manufacturing side of things. Then the next one would be Margaret, and she's she's a nun, so she doesn't work in the company Mm -hmm. at all. uh, Praise for us, I guess, keeps us all in the yeah, straight and narrow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, that's helpful. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then um, William works in marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph uh, works in the parts department and also helps on the engineering, or helps on the development side of things. And then my youngest sister, Mary, is still in school. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And my father works full-time. And um, my uncle uh, works uh, in the company and has since 2005. Um, and he does some deliveries and helps at trade shows and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and my aunt usually goes along with, uh, with my uncle and helps uh, with some of the paperwork and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my mom, uh, she helps a little bit in the business in different areas, but has mostly been a stay-at-home, uh, home mom. And mm-hmm. she's the one who had to teach us also. Right,
0: <laughs> big job. Big yeah. job. Yeah. So. Yeah. So truly a, truly a family affair, yes. one-sixth of the employees are, got the last name on tag. Yes. What is the key to making that work in the, this fast growth environment that you're in? The pace of growth by itself is a, is a challenge and, and you guys are making it work with a, a family that's still getting together for Thanksgiving and doing things together like your bike ride with your brothers. Tell us what the key is.
1: Communication and respect. Either of those two things starts to fail or starts to get left behind. It's not too long and there's gonna be some conflict. Um, But ultimately communicating with each other, being honest and upfront and telling them ahead of uh, when it's already happening. Um, But everybody has a different perspective. Uh, When you have that many people, that many family members in a business, um, you're gonna come up with a lot of different perspectives. And uh, all of them are worth listening to and taking seriously and Generally speaking, if you communicate well and you uh, communicate uh, with respect to each other, it goes a long way towards making everything work. So those I think would be the two key things, and keeping a solid prayer life in there as well. Yes. We can always tell when those things start to fall apart as well. Yeah. So.
0: I know that you guys probably aren't real big on titles, but what what is the title that you have on your business card?
1: I'm the general manager, so I manage the general activities of the day and um, all the different aspects of the company. Mm-hmm. But to your point, titles don't mean a lot in the company. I manage that, but yet uh, it's still communicated through the different shareholders, and we work together as a team as to what we're going to develop or work on the next project. My father's influence is mainly in the uh, Engineering—that's where he likes to spend his time more on the engineering and development, especially that next thing that we're going to be working on.
0: Describe your leadership style. What are the things that you hang your hat on? That, that you aspire to be in what what you do. Your your philosophy of leading the business.
1: Leading by example, being able to make a decision, but being able to listen to the input of the others around you. Not making hasty decisions. Um, but making informed decisions off of listening to others. I'm not that big CEO that goes in and makes all decisions in five minutes and walks out of the room. Um, I need the input of others who know what's happening in those areas, and yet trying to not uh, procrastinate too long on making decisions, but um, making them in a timely manner. That's what I hope to be um, in my management style. Um, I'm not always perfect at it, but I try to work at that. So.
0: Observation that, that I've seen so you guys are, are very committed to education uh, with a lot of the events that you run, events that you, you help run, the amount of reading that I can tell that you do of, of what's going on in the ag media. Can you
1: speak to a, an approach to that? It really comes out of the homeschooling, probably. Uh, we were taught um, that you had to learn and master the different things that you were working on and, honestly, having the love for learning there's always something exciting and to learn and there's so much research out there and it's one of the things I really enjoy about the different publications and things that you guys do at Lessiter. it's it's informative it's it's cutting edge it's what's happening doesn't necessarily work for everybody but it's here's a story of how it's working for this guy this is a this farm is doing this um, this company is implementing this change um, you guys have a great uh, listing of articles and Honestly, it's uh, my first resource for a lot of those things. Yeah, but great. appreciate your uh, support of that.
0: We'll get back to the interview in just a moment, but here's another free podcast from the lessoner Media team that you'll want to check out.
1: Hi, I'm Kim Schmidt of On the Record. Prepared by the editors of Ag Equipment Intelligence, our On the Record is a short-form podcast you can take in during a cup of coffee. Released twice a month, this 10-minute podcast summarizes all the important news you need to know as it's happening in the North American Farm Machinery biz. Search Ag Equipment Intelligence on your favorite podcast station. And now back to Mike and the Farm Equipment Podcast.
0: What would you say are the one or two of the most defining moments in Montag's history?
1: Defining moments. Well, Ultimately the decision, the decision as the family to incorporate and really start down this path was a bit of a leap, uh, a leap of faith to do that. Then there were some pivotal times in which people had listened to what we were doing as a company and had confidence in us, be that a banker. My uncle and aunt came in and invested in the company in 2006. There were some early players in the company that helped to propel it and bring it to where it was. 2010, when Kuhn Krauss came, but you know, 2006, when we had all those dealers coming to our door and knocking on on the farmhouse door. Mm -hmm. Um, Saying, yeah, we've seen this ad in the paper, we've seen this, or we've seen this machine running, we'd like to be able to sell that. Um, Those are some defining moments. Um, But then also, uh, on the flip side of it, you also learn a lot during those uh, times when things aren't going so well. 2009 would have been one of those years when we learned a lot on the downside. How to be more careful of inventory, how to be um, cautious of things like that. So there's a point for being bold and brave, um, and enjoying four hundred percent growth, but there's also right. the risk of a twenty percent reduction in yeah. sales. All of those moments combined to teach, and you know, I often say I didn't go to college, so I don't have a degree, but I have a degree in Montag, mm-hmm. um, and it's been yeah. it's the education of both those highs and lows, um, and experiences. And
0: what did uh, two thousand and nine change your perspective on? Something that you started operating. That- the company differently after having gone through
1: that downturn? Really, in 2009, we'd just listened to the phone, took phone calls. It was taking orders by phone. All the way up until that point, all we had to do was just uh, build stuff and phone answer phone. the phone. Yeah. And in 2009, um, the phone didn't ring. Um, in May of nine, it just stopped ringing. Um, nobody was interested in buying anything right then. Mm-hmm. So it, it meant we had to we had to yeah, we had to do the grown up thing of sales and go out and see people we had to make programs we had to put together more literature we had to we had to change how we engaged the market it wasn't just enough to simply have a piece of equipment and sell what you could sell
0: at that time would you have characterized the
1: team as more engineering focused no we were essentially at that at that point we were manufacturing focused um it was always our bottleneck, all we could do, it was odd, we, would, we were a very seasonal company, so we would build equipment, and then after we were done building, we would do this expansion project, so we may put a lean-to on the shop, or we may do this or that, um, build, build our offices on, add another office room on, and that was a winter or a summer project, usually a winter project. My father always said, you know, you couldn't pour concrete until it was too cold. We had to insulate it. Um, But it was, you know, it was a joke, but the reality is that's when we got done building equipment, then we would go pour a slab and do an expansion. Um, But it was always focused on how we could build more equipment until 2009. And then 2009, we had to start changing our philosophy there. We'd started changing a little bit on the engineering side and started making some drawings and things like that, but, you know, prior, prior to 2009, we didn't even have uh, we didn't even have engineering drawings hardly, oh, okay. so we were very much a blacksmith philosophy company up until that point.
0: And so, when you when you needed to adjust and and become more sales oriented, how how did you prepare
1: yourselves to do that?
0: How did you make that
1: adjustment? My uncle and I jumped in a truck and we went out and started seeing customers. Dad went out and started seeing customers. Um, so we just uh, that was the next challenge. That was the next opportunity we needed to work on. Um, so, kind of roll up our sleeves and go into that mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good, That was it was important that we did that, but started calling on customers and calling on our dealers more. Mm-hmm. And they responded, 2010 ended up being a really good year for us. Mm-hmm. So it worked for you? It did.
0: Yeah. A lot of companies, and ours included, had some touch and go moments in the early years where you know, it wasn't clear if you were gonna make it. Did you have any of those moments in your case? <laughs>
1: Yes. Predominantly, you know, there was that time when that rapid growth was happening um, where definitely um, we were growing as fast as we could possibly grow. And in 2009, when we kind of capped out, um, quite a few things happened. One, we'd have been on a cash base accounting for the IRS all the way through. But 2009 was our first year for being on accrual. We weren't really prepared for that, mm-hmm. so we had a 20% deduction in sales. Um, switched over to accrual cash, and we built a ton of inventory. Mm-hmm. Talk about three things to never do in the same year. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but um, so the stars really aligned badly for us, and that was that was a big challenge. So, 2009 was definitely a testing year for us. And you know, at that point, you know, you're really you're really going through it, and there's Really no path other than to go forward, but it does really test your resolve um to how you're going to go through it and it was definitely a challenging year.
0: It's kind of a, use a metallurgy term it you kind of annealed after going
1: through the fire yes, yeah, very much so mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to uh, get beat over the side with a hammer and knock some <laughs> shale off <laughs> right. I guess Montag's success isn't one person's story. Um, it's a story of our family working together and developing this, and then all the people that have come along um, in the path that have helped us, um, be that internally or externally. Our success, and it's something mm-hmm. that I can really feel pretty passionate about, is is due to a lot of people coming along, along at the right times. Be mm-hmm. that a friend helping us get our first loan um, in 2005, um, or um, you know, um, uh, somebody from the CPA firm coming along and helping to teach us how to do accounting and how to take on that. I mean, 2005 and six were done in Excel. Uh, oh, yeah. That was an accounting and inventory and billing matrix. You know, just consistently along the history of our company, mm-hmm. we've been blessed to have people come along at the right time that have helped to bring us to the next level or teach us the next thing we needed to learn. It's been a fabulous time. You know, you mentioned the fact that we, um, you could tell that we like to learn, like to study. And, and it's true, um, but it's been, we've been fortunate enough that along the way, those things have happened and continue to happen and really can tell the providence of God in doing at the timing that that's happened.
0: You got two words here. I'm gonna ask you about your father first and your mother second. Give me one word that Describes, Roger? Integrity. Now, now Mom. Nurturing. In Montag, the enterprise.
1: Mm. It's a family. You can tell that and feel it oftentimes. We still sing, uh, we still sing Happy Birthday and have birthday cake for uh, everybody. But uh, um, yeah, we still sing Happy Birthday, have Christmas parties, and... Enjoy being with each other in that
0: family environment. I, I feel it. it. It extends to your your suppliers,
1: your dealers, the other manufacturers here. It's it's quite a joy to be able to come to an event like this and to be able to have a good, positive relationship with everybody in the room.
0: That um, is unique. Yeah, you don't see that in every segment. No, here for sure.
1: With good relationships with a huge segment in the ag industry and. We try to do our piece and do it well, um, and not step on too many toes. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, we're very fortunate to have really good friendships and good relationships um, with a lot of a large portion of the ag industry uh, that we know.
0: Thanks to Anthony for the Montag story, and also to Ingersoll for making this podcast series possible. Check out Ingersoll at www.ingersoltillage.com. Once again, both Montag and Ingersoll are sponsors of the upcoming National Strip Tillage Conference. You can receive a special rate courtesy of Ingersoll by using the special discount code AGRA Solutions. That's A-G-R-I-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. And a shout out to the audio talent here at Lester Media, Jeff Wozeski and Joe Kinsley. Appreciate the cleanup, fellas. And thanks for joining me for today's sit down with Anthony Montag of Montag Manufacturing out here in Nebraska. Till next time, I'm Mike Lesseter of Farm Equipment signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipments Entrepreneurs.